0: All righty, let's get cracking. Um, cool, 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 cool. Hey, don't you love my year nine slides? I just, I, I love them. I just think they're so impressive. I'm, I'm totally gonna own that. Like, They're not gonna get any better than that. It's just gonna be constant. Um, <laughs> but they'll do the job, that's the main thing. All righty, um, so yeah, my name is Seb and I'm the youth pastor here, uh, which is great fun. Love doing it. Um, and you've got me up this morning, you lucky things. Um, cool. So what we're going to look at, as the wonderful slides show... No, oh, hold up. One back. There we go. Um, trust in the Bible of Scripture. Um, I first became a Christian when I was 18, reading a Bible in my room, a New Testament and Psalms Gideon Bible. Um, and God spoke to me then, and he still speaks to me now and has done since through his word. Um, and I, I trusted it then. And I trust it even more now. Um, that's something I just wanted to underline at the start. But there was a moment about oh, three or four years ago where I just suddenly asked, why do I trust this book? Why do I trust this collection of books? Who decided what was in it and what isn't in it? And why should I trust them? And I just had all these questions. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'll look into this. Um, and I... I Part of that, as well, is I, I felt I couldn't have full integrity if I didn't look into it. It was an itch which needed to be scratched and hopefully taken away um, rather than constantly being there. But whilst doing that, I found that there were um, short blogs, uh, there were articles, there were little books on the one hand, or there were these massive doorstop theological books on the other hand on this topic. And I was like, where's the middle? where's the mid, uh, middle ground? Particularly thinking for young people in that I don't really want to give them a doorstop because um, it's just too much um, for, for the average young person. So I decided I'd do my own document. Um, so 6,000 words later and 12 pages later, I, I got it and I've done it. And then I showed it to John and he was like, preach on it. So I was like, okay, cool. But don't worry, I'm not going to preach on all of it. Otherwise, that would be a long, long time. Uh, But if you do want a copy of it, feel free to just grab me at the end. Sorry, yes, $10, absolutely. Len Butner was selling his material for 20, so I'm undercutting him at 10. Uh, It's a bargain, Um, two for 15 maybe, if you're lucky. Uh, (laughs) No, um, if you want a copy, please do grab me at the end or drop me a text or flick me an email. I've had no complaints so far, so it's either helpful or it's great kindling, one of the two, so it's awesome. Cool, good stuff. Um, and so what I am going to do, though, is I'm just going to throw out a few tasters in the first 20 minutes of it. Just, I'm going to cherry pick from that document and just chuck a few things out there, particularly looking at some of the challenges that are brought to the Bible, um, some really legit good questions, which we, we need to ask and we need to, to answer. And we don't have to park our brains either, which is good. Um, before I, I just go into that, I want to quote a chap called Craig Blomberg, who says, I know evidence can never compel or coerce faith, we cannot supplant the role of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not trying to argue anyone into the kingdom here this morning. I, I don't actually want to argue at all. Uh, that's the Holy Spirit's role—not argue, uh, but to convict people to uh, and show them of where they're at with God, to um, guide them to Jesus. So, having said that, whilst I don't want to take the Holy Spirit's place, I hope that this is really a time where God speaks to you and encourages you, and stirs up the fires in your heart for getting into His Word. Cool. Time to dive in. bit of context. For centuries, Christians have trusted this book. They have trusted this book, the Bible, as the divinely inspired word of God. They have trusted the Bible to know who God is, what is God like, what does it mean to follow God as well, what does it mean to believe in Jesus, what did Jesus get up to? When it says, Jesus said this, or Jesus died, Is it telling the truth? Or was it all made up? Is the Bible historically reliable? This question is of eternal importance. And I am opening up a proper can of worms. Well, I'm not in a way, but I'm opening it up. Um, We've got to face these big questions. They're real questions. So, let me pick a few, and then we'll just take a look at them. Let's start with a fun one. Is it all a pack of lies? Did they just make it up? Did they have some cheese pizza the night before and get writing the next day? So much can be said on this. I'm going to pick one area. The whole authorship and content of the Gospels is based on unlikely people. Very simple point. The four Gospels contain various moments where the disciples' incompetence, immaturity... And complete lack of faith at times is on full display in their three-year journey. As they are with Jesus, right in person, these moments are so clear throughout the whole Gospels. Just taking one moment, when Jesus came back from the grave, when he rose again, the first witnesses were not uh, the 12 blokes who were his disciples, it was actually some of the women who were his disciples which was completely countercultural. If you're looking to, at the time in a Jewish court, if you're looking to really provide solid evidence and and show that you are reliable, sadly at the time, that was not the way to go about it. And not only that, but women who actually, a few of them we know, had pretty checkered pasts and that completely changed when they met Jesus. The depiction of the disciples is especially this, um, this way in Mark And one theologian has actually gone along and said that Mark hates the disciples, which isn't true. He doesn't really hate the disciples, but he is so, um, he's not hiding it. He's not hiding it at all. So why am I saying this? Oh, actually, just with Mark as well. Interestingly, the person he really shows up the most is Peter. And Peter was his close friend and companion, someone who they journeyed together with. And some would even say that Peter was very close at hand when this gospel was being written. I personally think that was the case too. So why? why is, so what? <laughs> the honest and balanced accounts of these gospels just make it come across as not a pack of lies. Automatically, this one point is, is pointing us towards actually, it doesn't really look like a pack of lies. It doesn't look like ulterior motives are at hand here. But let's try another question. Were the Gospels accurately preserved until they were finally written down years later? Wasn't it centuries later that the Gospels were written down? Doesn't it say that in the Da Vinci Code or some other book? We'll get on to that book in a bit. The best, just taking a sidestep from the Bible, the best biographical um, evidence we have available on Alexander the Great was written 400 years after his death. His death was 323 B.C., And the two fellows who wrote that were Arian and Plutarch. That is our best sources. And we consider them pretty reliably accurate. Uh, From a historical point of view, scholars, pretty accurate. Back into the Bible. 400 years, remember that. Paul's death has been said to be about 62, 67 AD. What's really interesting about that is it's not mentioned in the Acts of the Apostles, one of the books in the New Testament, one of the documents. So that then raises the question, well, why? This, this Acts of the Apostles, this document that Luke wrote, it contains so much about the life of Paul. It contains um, death as well, so that wasn't censored. It shows how Stephen was stoned in um, I think it's Acts chapter 9. Could be wrong on that, but somewhere around there. It's definitely in it. So why isn't it contained? And I'm going to put forward that it wasn't contained because we know that Luke wrote it before Paul's death. He didn't write it because it, he didn't write about Paul's death because it hadn't happened. He must have written it otherwise. Surely he would have written it. So if we know that Paul's death happened after the the Acts of the Apostles was written, we can maybe put this document, this book, at early 60s, late 50s maybe. And not only that, but we know that Luke wrote another document, the Gospel of Luke. And we know that he wrote that first. So if we've got the Acts of the Apostles, early 60s, late 50s, does that place then the Gospel of Luke at late 50s? Maybe even early 60s too? Not only that, but we know, uh, and I'm going to skip through the reasons why, but we know that Mark was actually written before Luke. Well, that's the, the majority consensus. That Luke and Matthew in particular uh, really leaned on on the writings of Mark, in Mark, the Gospel of Mark. So if, if we've got Luke maybe at, I don't know, early 60s, late late 50s, around that time, maybe even mid-50s. And Mark is even before that. Suddenly we're looking at a gospel account being written down within 30 years of Jesus' death. Alexander the Great, 400 years. The accounts of Jesus, under 30. And not only that, but then we look at Paul's letter through corroborative evidence. Oh man, that word, that's a mouthful. Uh, We know that Paul's letters would have been written in the 40s. So suddenly we're actually saying 25 years, maybe even 20, if Jesus died between AD 30 and AD 33. There's some really, really, really strong factual evidence at play here. If we could have the first slide, please. Thank you. Love this. Cool. So Mike Collins sent this to me, which I think sums it up so well. In the variety and the fullness of the evidence on which it rests, the text of the New Testament stands absolutely and unapproachably alone amongst ancient prose writings. Really cool quote, sums it up. Great. Okay, but what about... Maybe the New Testament's uh, writings were altered after they were written. Maybe someone had a bit of a cheeky change, you know, change a few key facts, manipulate it, use it for their own good, or they just messed it up. Let's deal with that question. So Frederick Kenyon... I love that name, Frederick, such a strong name. He's former director and principal librarian of the British Museum, and he was one of the foremost experts on ancient manuscripts and their authority. Now, he wrote this. The interval between the dates of original composition of the New Testament and the earliest extant evidence becomes so small as to be, in fact, negligible. And the last foundation for any doubt that the Scriptures have come down to us as substantially as they were written, has now been removed. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as finally established. That's a great quote from a Christian, right? He's not a Christian. He knows what he's talking about, though. He's an expert in his field. And to find out, just taking Frederick's point, um, to find out how he got there, or or to understand how he got there, there are two key factors. What was the time gap between the original manuscript and the earliest surviving copy? So first copy written, and our first copy that we actually have, we have evidence for, what's what's the time gap of that? And then second, how many copies do we have? So like we did with Alexander, if we could have the next slide please, Um, like we did with Alexander, bit of context. There are 10 copies of Caesar's Gallic Wars from 1,000 years after first being written. And there are 20 copies of Tacitus from 1,000 years after first being written. Again, generally considered pretty reliable stuff. Next slide, please. So for the Bible, in Manchester, in the UK, there is a fragment of John's Gospel from 125 AD. 43% of the New Testament can be assembled from documents dating before 200 AD. That's predating Constantine. And there are complete copies of the New Testament from 300 years after Jesus. I mean, this is just blowing it out of the water. Like completely blowing any other historical topic, um, view of a person, any other focus. There's no comparison like that quote we had previously. Can we have the next slide, please? And then on quantity, the same again. Over 5,000 Greek manuscripts, a total of about 24,000 when including Latin, Syriac, and other languages, and the entire New Testament can be reconstructed from quotations in letters between early church fathers. 32,000 citations pre-Council of Nicaea in AD 325. There's just no comparison. I mean, that's, that's just a huge amount of, of, of evidence we have. A huge amount of manuscripts. And the, date, the, the time as well, the time gap is, is so much smaller. Just as a side, actually two side notes. Um, The Da Vinci Code made it uh, popular this theory that uh, Constantine at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, he just basically decided what was in it, and the Christians just kind of submitted and let him do his thing. It was undoubtedly a very pivotal moment in the church, and there was many things going on. But this paints a different picture. The Bible was, was, as we know it now, but what would become formalized as the Bible, what the early church knew as Scripture, was already very much being used and very much there and in circulation. And also, just a side note, if you're thinking 125 AD, oh, that's, that's still quite a big gap. It is as well, but let's remember the culture that this was happening in. So the Jewish boys, particularly by AD 70, the very, very latest, 100 AD, they, well, the top students would be able to you'd be able to pick any verse you want out of the Old Testament. Let's just find that for you. Show you visually how much that is. You could start reading any line in that, and they would finish the sentence and keep going, and going, and going, and going. So we are talking about serious, serious memory culture here. So in terms of just remembering stuff, I don't know, if you're like me, I'm like a Barely remember stuff for school tests. <laughs> you know, the, There was some next-level memory stuff going on in that culture. Cool. Right. Next point. Let's change tack. Um, this opening bit, I'm just going to chuck some, some stuff out, as I said, and then we'll, we'll shift and uh, change focus. But just another question for the moment. How do we know the Old Testament is Scripture? The reasons Christians trust the Old Testament is Scripture, one reason I'm going to give you, There's quite a few. Jesus says it is. It's the old Sunday school answer. (laughs) Very handy. Moving on quickly. But in order to know that Jesus believed the Old Testament is Scripture, we need to use the New Testament, which raises another question. How do we know that the New Testament is Scripture? Could I have the next slide, please? So there were three key benchmarks which the early church were going by in order to decide what was in the New Testament or not. Did it have early apostolic direct or indirect authority? And what I mean by that, uh, take Paul's letters. He was very much recognized as an apostle in the church, so he had direct apostolic authority. Take someone like Mark, the Gospel of Mark that we, wrote, uh, we mentioned earlier. He was traveling with Peter, one of the apostles. They were very close. It was given that apostolic authority as well. It clearly had that too, but it was, it was indirect in that sense. Second point, did it back up the Gospels and widely accepted theology? And number three, was it already and traditionally widely accepted and communicated in the church? Next slide, please. Cool. So this is probably one of the most important sentences I'm chucking out there today, if you're thinking about New Testament and how can we trust it. The canon, which means this collection of documents, this collection of letters and and books, is a list of authoritative books more than it is an authoritative list of books. The canon is a list of authoritative books more than it is an authoritative list of books. Let me just unpack that. So let's just take a really good rugby player. um, Easy example. Let's take Richie McCaw. In fact, no, let's take an even better rugby player. Let's take Johnny Wilkinson. And In 2003, when he was on his top form, yeah, the coaches still picked him, But he picked himself. You couldn't not pick Johnny. It would just be madness. Every area, kicking, everything. He was just out of the park. He picked himself. He was the first name on that team sheet. Similarly, this list is is a list of authoritative books. They picked themselves. Let me just unpack that um, as well. Some of the uh, books which were excluded, it wasn't actually a tough decision. Take the Gospel of Thomas. Let me read you something from the Gospel of Thomas. Simon Peter said to them, Let Mary go away from us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, Lo, I shall lead her, so that I may make her a male, that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who makes herself a male will enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't even know what's going on there. Like, (laughs) Calm the farm, Thomas. Put your pen down, mate, and just don't. (laughs) It was an easy decision. Not all of them were easy. Hebrews was quite an interesting one, which I won't go into now. The document does. But a lot of the decisions were actually quite straightforward. The church from very early on were deciding upon and using materialist scripture that we would come to know as New Testament scripture. And let's just think about these people as well who were deciding. You know, One of the councils, uh, I can't remember off, off the top of my head, I should have checked that for you, sorry. Uh, one of the councils of the early church there were only three church leaders present who had all their limbs because of the persecution they were facing. I mean, these guys weren't just sitting around a table having a few lattes thinking, oh, I don't know about that one, I'm not too keen, or, you know, pretty casual. This was like some serious decision-making. They were tortured, they were maimed, they were killed for their faith in Jesus, and they were coordinated, and they were capable and the, the one I would really want to emphasize is they were full of love for God and people. Yeah. They doggedly followed these three benchmarks. Could we have the three benchmarks up again, please? I think it's the previous slide. Awesome, thank you. They doggedly followed these three benchmarks. Cool. So the last thing I'm just going to say on this, I've chucked a lot your way. You've done great. Martin Carla says, Jesus is both a a Jesus of history and a Jesus of faith. Similarly, the Bible is both of history and of faith. And I hope that you come away just really encouraged from that 20 minutes we've just done. I hope that it just seeps in. Even if you're maybe feeling like your brain's a bit fuzzy, that's okay. Again, it's in the document. It's not a memory test for us. But I hope that it just really makes you... As a general o- overseeing point, I hope it really makes you uh, encouraged that we don't have to park our brains on this. We can ask the big questions. And not only can we ask the big questions, but they are met. They are met. Awesome. So we're going to park that, that study aspect. But to transition from that, the main sentence I just want to chuck out there at the moment is we can trust the Bible as Scripture. And you might be like, yeah, cool story, bro. We we know that. We've been here a few times. We know the drill. But where are we at with that? We can trust the Bible as Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the men and women of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Ephesians 6, beautiful passage, talking about the armor of God. Love it. One of my favorite places in the Bible. Paul, whilst using this imagery of putting on the armor of God, says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we can trust that because we know that it's Scripture. Yes, it's talking about itself, but through doing the hard yards, we can trust it. So what? (laughs) So what? What does this mean for you guys? Had twenty minutes of just a bit of a slightly academic thing, but hopefully there's some life to that too. But so what? What about your daily? I'm gonna give you four points as a that's five. I'm gonna give you four points as a coming to land. And one is just repeating that previous sentence and just going deeper in that. We can really trust the Bible of Scripture. I truly believe, with my head and my heart, that God instigated this and guided this book. He wants us to seek him through his word. He wants us to seek his character through his word. He wants us to seek his ways through his word. God is so passionate about the Bible. This is the primary and foundational way God wants to speak to us. I remember one time my my old curate at um, the church I used to work uh, work for in England... um, He's a really cool guy, big guy, hit the weights, tattoos. Uh, before he became a Christian, he was in the army, and then he ran away from the UK because he needed to pay some tax. He didn't want to. Uh, and he actually came to New Zealand, and he got, uh, he got saved on the beach in Thames, uh, in North Island. And one time, he, uh, <laughs> he had some uh, lovely guys come around who were Mormons, and uh, Simon said to them, so if an angel came to you and started giving you extra revelation built on what you already know, what would you do in terms of extra revelation based on your Book of Mormon and, and their, their holy scriptures, that they perceive as the holy scriptures? And they said, oh, well, we'll we'd listen to them. We'd, um, we'd see what they had to say. What, what would you do? Simon says, I would rebuke them in the name of Jesus and tell them to leave. And their faces just went, <gasps> ah! Yeah. But it, it makes the point that you can't take away or add to scripture. Galatians 1 makes that very clear. and This is our, our foundation. If we want to build in the prophetic, if we want to hear from God, this is how we know when it's God or not. And there's so much more you could say on that, just the links between the Bible and the prophetic, which we won't today, but something to consider. I come across quite a few people, actually, when I'm I'm chatting with them, and I see it in myself, too, where this whole thing of, I can't hear from God, pops up. And then I either ask myself or I ask them, I go, "Hmm, how's getting into the Bible going? Nine times out of ten not good and i don't say that in a judgment way it's just a a fact if we if we stop getting into his word we starve ourselves of his words and how he wants to speak to us and knowing when it's him elsewhere apart from scripture and if you don't know how to read it you can do it with others just wanted to point that out we don't have to do this alone that's the beautiful aspect of it i mean that's why we're here today right and if you're looking at how this currently sits with you, I'm just going to give you a few questions to chew on. Particularly in the context, actually, of when you're talking, with it, uh, talking about it with a friend or being asked about it, is this book really relevant to them? Are these some of the things you're thinking? Will God really speak to them through it? Can I trust God to speak to them through it? Can I truly endorse it? I mean, these are all very real feelings. I've spotted them in myself at times. Let me give you two... uh, Yeah, we'll go for two stories. Last week or two weeks ago, I can't remember, I'm getting old, uh, my flatmate said, can we do a Bible study? Uh, He hasn't been following Jesus, um, very spiritually aware and seeking, which is awesome. Um, And so we said, yeah, me and my other flatmate who's a Christian. And so we thought, oh, what are we going to do? And I think we decided about 10 minutes before we'd look at the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. And what we didn't know when we went and looked at the Lord's Prayer is that we'd be looking at the bit afterwards too, where uh, Jesus tells a story of how when someone knocks on your door at midnight, if your mate knocks on your door at midnight, you're not going to open the door. You're going to be like, mate, what are you doing? Come back tomorrow. You know, you know them, you have that relationship where you're like, dude, come on, Like, if you want something, just come tomorrow when I'm not sleeping. And Jesus draws a comparison between that and how much more when we go to our Father in prayer is he going to just open up heaven to us. How much more is he going to pour out his love? What was really funny about that is two days before, my other flatmate's friend um, had a friend who came knocking at 3.45 in the morning. And no one else heard it but me. And so I went downstairs and I was a bit grumpy. Um, so I had to apologize to them for that later. But I did give them a heater and some blankets. They so are all good. But again, classic example. God is just looking to burst into our lives when we read Scripture. And we least expect it. He just wants to come out and talk to us through it. And and we got to just chat this through and explain And the passage just came alive. Last Sunday, I I needed um, a yes or no from God as to what I I should do yesterday, actually. Um, It was just a decision I had to make. And so I said, God, would you speak to me through my scripture reading today? And he just got me. Clear as daylight. Not in a way I expected. I knew what passage was coming up. I'd read it before. And he just got me. I'd completely forgotten about the line that I read that really helped. Okay, moving swiftly on. Second point I want to chuck out. These ones are going to go a lot quicker, I think. I just really wanted to emphasize that first point. Second one is I'm aware that a lot of people read the Bible on their phones and tablets, and that's really cool. I'm, I'm a fan of that in terms of what you can do and, and how easy it is, and people really get a lot from that. That's, that's cool. I want to chuck a thought out there about maybe doing that and a hard copy, like the old school the old school Bible too. Let me give you a few thoughts on that. Oh, was loud. Is this oh no. A few thoughts on the pros of a hard copy on a phone. One, less screen time in your day. Obvious health implications. <laughs> People can see you reading it in cafes and pubs and bus stops and wherever you are. You're accessible and approachable for questions, for chats, for prayer. People can automatically identify that oh hang on. They're not actually just playing a game on their phone or texting or checking Facebook. They're actually getting into the Word there. Personally, I find it feels a lot nicer. That's just a personal thing. Visually as well, when I'm reading it, rather than scrolling through, um, if I'm reading a verse or a passage, I can actually see the context on the same page or I can read it around it a lot quicker. I was actually chatting with Nat about this earlier than week, and He brought it up without me even raising it. Um, So, yeah, that was very encouraging. Um, I totally agree with that. And also, here's the last one. You can give it to someone if you have a chat with them. I had a mate who uh, I went to school with, and uh, when I became a Christian, we started having chats. Um, He said, can we meet up and talk about God? And so we met up, and um, he felt safe in the pub, so we (laughs) we did it in the pub. And I gave him the New Testament Psalms that I used when I became a Christian. I think a couple of weeks later, he flipped his car about six, seven times, and just as it stopped with him upside down, the New Testament and Psalms lands right in front of his eyes and he just got got. He got really got. I don't know where he's at with the Lord at the moment. He turned his back on him but that was a moment and he was able to get into that, that, that Bible and he knows how precious that Bible is to me and I hope and pray he's still got it. So yeah, just a few thoughts on, on hard copy and fine. Next one is submit to it. That's not a very fun word, is it? Submit. We don't really like that one. Automatically in us, we're a bit like, ooh. Simon Dodge um, gave me this quote, which I found really helpful. Every time we read it, it reads us. And my encouragement is let it. Let God direct your life. I quit Netflix recently. Um, Yeah, the gasps. Uh, (laughs) And that was quite a process. That was a, probably a six to eight month process, and it's a personal one. I wouldn't project that on others. But the real clincher for me was, I read this verse in Philippians 4.8, and it said, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence in any of this, if there's any, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And I was like, I can't say that about what I'm watching on Netflix. And I can think of some you know, fancy arguments. Oh, well, I'm, I'm just watching them so I can stay in touch with the young people. First of all, that's a lost cause. <laughs> but I was just praying about it, and I was like, it's got to go. And this was a process. Again, I'm not projecting, but that's, that's where we can just actually really let it read us. And it's not just about Jesus squashing us and being like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Yeah, sure, there are some don'ts. Just like with a child, so don't stick your fingers in the socket. You're going to get shocked. But it's also submitting to the truth about how he sees us, about who he is. It's submitting to the truth which will free us. I've done the whole thing of walking without Jesus, and I've done it with. I've got two t-shirts, been there, done that. You will not find more freedom outside of following Jesus. Guaranteed. So I'm not being a killjoy, honest. If the band would like to come up, that would be awesome, please. The last thing I'm going to chuck out to you is wield it. Wield the sword of the Spirit. It is so powerful. When I became a Christian, my brother said two things to me. He said, firstly, memorize scripture. Again, not for some sort of performance or academic thing, but so that it goes deep in you. So that now, because of what my brother said to me, I know that 2 Timothy 1.7 says, I don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. I know in my very DNA that Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation in Christ. I know these truths which are so deep in me because of what my brother said. And I wield those. I wield them. Even a couple of days ago, I was just chatting with someone and helping them through where they were at and what lies they were believing. And I was just using that scripture. And the second thing my brother said is meet Jesus on every single page of the Bible. (laughs) If you don't think that's possible, please do come and have a yarn with me. I'd love to chat about that. But let's wield it. Let's wield it in prayer. Let's declare it in our lives. Let's declare it in others' lives. When I walk into certain environments and I'm finding it quite tough, um, I remember there was a young person I used to work with in England, and I knew 45 minutes before they would come each time because I felt the shift in the atmosphere. That might sound super spiro, but it's true. Um, I don't often feel things spiritually in that, but I felt the shift. And I kid you not, every time I I would know when she was coming. Bless her, she was just caught up in a lot of stuff. My fight wasn't against her. But what I did was, okay, right, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So Holy Spirit, would you flood this place where light is, darkness cannot abide. So would your light come in? And I was just wielding the truth. You might want to declare it for your own life, as I said. Just let's wield it. Are we wielding our smartphones more than we're wielding our Bibles? Thought. Cool. That's all I got for ya, Father. Thank you for this time. Let's just focus on Jesus and, and God. Thank you for this time. I ask Lord that you would take my um, um, my stuff just chucked out there, and um, you would let it go deep in our hearts. That you would stir whatever you want to stir, God. And I ask for encouragement to fill every heart. I ask for a fire, like when you shared on the road with those two disciples. And their hearts burned for you, Lord, just hearing how you opened up the scriptures. Thank you, Lord.